I'll be reading Luke chapter 21, verse 5 through 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the day will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked them, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But but before all of this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not not, not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will, be, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you have asked if I got into a post-election fight um, this past week, and if that's how I got this gash on my head. Uh, I would like to come up with a story like that, but um, the reality is that I was texting and walking, um, and uh, walked into a sign, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, I did more damage to the sign than it did to me. Um, but it, it created a, a nice little mark on my head. So um, I, I hate to disappoint you if you thought I had a better story than that, but uh, Tony uh, can embellish my story for me. If you need to get more of the details, Tony, ask Tony, and uh, she'll give it to you. Uh, well, I can't think of a better scripture text for us to hear this morning than the one that we just heard from Luke's Gospel. I'm usually worried about the apocalyptic texts. I think I've mentioned that before. I'm always worried when they come up as we end the lectionary year. It always seems a bit strange to me as we lead up to Advent to have all of these readings uh, that come out of uh, these apocalyptic parts of the Gospels uh, read because they can be quite terrifying. I mean, they usually scare us a bit. As we hear about the earthquakes, about tumbling temple walls, and chaos breaking loose in our streets and around the globe. Some preachers love to present these apocalyptic texts with doom and gloom, with charts and pictures of the beast and the people who bear his number on their foreheads, right? The 666 across the forehead, and some people have interpreted that as a chip or an SD card 
um, that might be embedded in your skin so that the beast would know who you are. Uh, I didn't see that in Revelation when I read it through, but uh, there are some things that are kind of like that. But presentations like these given in churches, how many of you, by the way, grew up in a church that had the big charts and the pictures? Wow, okay, I'm going to start a series on that next month, uh, just so that you'll get a taste of how bizarre that can be. But taking the uh, prophecies that are in the Bible and matching them up with current events, it's kind of an interesting exercise. Uh, But presentations like that are good for baptism numbers, right? If I tell you that tomorrow the end will come, then you'll be getting your life together, right? You'll start repenting of your sins and, and you'll make everything right and you'll want to get baptized and join the church. Two or three times. times. It never hurts to do it more than once. Um, Actually, it could. But but it's good for baptism numbers and for book sales. But it is not good for history or theology. It is not good history at all. As I read the Luke text, and as I have been reading it throughout this past week, especially after the election results from Tuesday, the words suddenly took on a fresh meaning for me. I began to feel more clearly what it is like to be in a land shaken by an earthquake, to have anxious thoughts about nations going to war, and to hear the sounds of insurrection in our streets. And if you have watched the news at all or been on social media, you have seen that the streets, uh, especially in big cities, have been full of protesters, uh, which is okay. We are a nation of protesters, aren't we? Isn't that how we got our start? Uh, But you hear some of those talk about insurrection or have different directions for how that ought to go. The words I was reading no longer struck me as irrelevant to today's world, as sometimes happens when we read particular scripture. They were now entry points for being able to relate to what it meant for the early church, to experience the clash of kingdoms. Isn't that what we are experiencing right now, a clash of kingdoms? For them, it was the kingdom of Rome versus the kingdom of God. The kingdom of self versus the kingdom of God. There was the kingdom of religion versus the kingdom of God. And whatever side of the election you were on this past week, I'm thinking that you may have felt some of these things as well. You may have felt like your kingdom has clashed with another kingdom and one that you you really didn't understand Uh, was going to take over. I always maintain that I am an independent, and uh, sometimes uh, I feel independent, and other times I don't. Um, But I think it is important for us, as we gather as a church, to realize we don't endorse a particular political party. Uh, We are all different, as uh, Kyle mentioned. I wanted to throw in there this morning, Republican and Democrat, Uh, not just uh, all these other things of our diversity. We are a little bit of everything. We're libertarian. Uh, In in Sunday school this morning, I was talking to the kids, and uh, we were talking about mock elections. And uh, By the way, children are a bit anxious right now. Have you noticed that? 
about things they've heard and seen on TV, especially from uh, our, our candidates. But um, Lake said, what about Gary Johnson? And I thought, wow, how cool he knew about Gary Johnson. I mean, you didn't know about Gary Johnson, right? He was running uh, as a third party. Uh, but we're, we're a little bit of everybody, even Gary Johnson. So as we realize that uh, some things maybe didn't go as well as we thought, or maybe today you're pretty encouraged because you think it happened just the way that you think it ought to happen. But I'm thinking either way you feel a little bit of what it was like for them to feel with these shifting uh, kingdoms as the, this tectonic shift is going on in our world and we are just now being able to, uh, some of our pundits and uh, our, our uh, different uh, journalists are starting to analyze this, our historians and political scientists are starting to look at this and figure out, okay, here's what's going on. We're so much right in the middle of it, it is hard for us to understand. But one thing we could say is that our nation is unquestionably divided. Politically, racially, and socially. And if we didn't learn anything else from this past week, we should learn that. Thousands of people are protesting in in cities throughout our nation. The stock market has bounced down and then up and has yet to stabilize. Churches are being vandalized with racial slurs. Muslims and their religious attire are getting attacked. Elementary school children this past week were caught on video mimicking horrible behavior they have heard our candidates say and do. The angels of our better nature have gone eerily quiet, haven't they? I mean, these are scary days, just like they must have been for the people living in Jesus' time. And as Jesus was talking about this, you kind of get an idea here in this, uh, this painting. As you see uh, Jesus talking about things that are going on, and as you heard from the text, uh, they are there by the temple. And you see the temple in the background, and it is so pretty. It is so majestic, and, and there is, it is so much uh, worth that is represented there, and you see that in the, uh, the picture back there. Uh, I mean, every little detail uh, being expensive and, and being handcrafted and, and well-made, and this is a cherished location, a wonderful spot of the people uh, of Jesus' own religion. And here he is telling them about things that are about to happen. And so as they gather around him, as they hear his apocalyptic words, uh, they are scared and drawn in. I, have, I really don't think he's trying to scare them. And in this painting, and that's why I picked this one, you kinda, it's almost like he's saying, okay, but here's what's getting ready to happen. Yes, yes, this is, this is a great place. It's a beautiful place. But here's what's getting ready to happen unless some changes are made. I mean, he's certainly not trying to boost baptism numbers or sell books. What he is doing is giving a warning of what will inevitably happen to them if they keep on with their agenda, to overthrow the the Roman government or to have this great insurrection and to do so in a way that is contrary to God's ways in the world. If they continue in their skewed version of their religion, 
if they maintain their indifference to God's law and justice, if they keep going down that road, then the stones of the temple are going to come tumbling down. And what Jesus is also doing here is preparing those who will become the church, his disciples, the the people that have been following him. He's trying to help them understand when these things happen, you will know what to do and you'll be able to navigate the chaos of your times. So Luke places these words of Jesus in his gospel to have the same effect they had on the people that were hearing them that day. And so as he's writing to the church after the fact, after Jerusalem does fall, and we do know that it fell in uh, 70 AD, and so as it it started to tumble down, uh, that they could be aware of what was going on. And so Luke wanted them to hear the words of Jesus within their own context. He wanted them to find hope, and I'm sure they were, now that the temple was down, wondering what kind of hope existed in the world. They had been taken over time and time again. And I'm sure they wondered if they would ever get their lives back as they once were. More than anything, Jesus wanted them to see this chaos as an opportunity. And that's the verse that really stood out to me the most in, in verse 13. I hope you have your, uh, your Bible still open there in Luke chapter 21. Jesus goes through all this stuff that, that's going to happen, and uh, he gets real specific with it that it's not only going to happen to the temple, but you, you are going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated, and all of these things are going to happen because you follow me. And then he says, but all this is going to happen uh, in such a way that you'll have a great opportunity to testify about me, about the things that God is doing in the world. So there is this little pause there for them to consider. And uh, he is really helping them understand that these are very different kingdoms. Uh, I was... uh, thinking about something I read in Diane Butler Bass's uh, People's History of Christianity, a book that one of our um, small groups went through, uh, I guess at some point last year. And she is writing about uh, not the fall of Jerusalem, but the fall of Rome. And she says in 410, uh, the barbarian um, Alaric and his Goths sacked Rome, the symbol of immortal civilization, and the cradle of the Christian church. Eternal city, moaned Jerome, the translator of the Latin Bible. If Rome can fall, what could ever be safe? And Bass says Christians had forgotten that they were citizens of two cities, the one Augustine called the city of man and the other the city of God. They conflated the two into one fully identifying Roman interest with Jesus' way. Sounds a lot like America, doesn't it? Sometimes we get the kingdom of God and the United States uh, conflated into one, and that is when some dreadful things happen. Thousands of Romans fled across the Mediterranean to the North African city of Hippo, where Augustine was bishop, and he sympathized with his fear-filled refugee congregation, those who once lived at the center of power 
the most important city in the world. And so he began to preach to them. And the problem, Augustine said, was that Christians had forgotten their true citizenship. He says that um, the heavenly city, while it sojourns on earth, calls citizens out of all nations and gathers together a society of pilgrims of all languages. In its pilgrim state, the heavenly city possesses peace by faith, and by this faith it lives. And so he talks about these different kingdoms and how we end up living in one or the other. Either you choose one to the neglect of the other, or one in the end is chosen for you. As we think about our different kingdoms, as we think about sometimes that we get it all wrong and we forget who we really are in this world, we recognize that uh, this world is um, governed by a God that we can't see and by a, a spiritual leader that works through us and through his people. And as we think about what it means to be divided, I mean, aren't we as a, a church today, as we consider what it means to be living in this world, we find ourselves sometimes torn between the two. Sometimes we want uh, to feel like that we are um, making a difference in our world, and, and we see that we are. But we recognize that we're not doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for God, and, and that God has given us a task and responsibility in this world, and even if things don't work out the way that we want them to, God is still in charge. Well, I believe strongly that the church is needed more now than ever. What Jesus said for the followers of his time is for ours as well, that this will give you an opportunity to testify. They were to see that the chaos of their time uh, was not a perfect storm, but it was the perfect opportunity to share about Jesus Christ, to proclaim the authentic gospel to the world around them. A perfect time to be the church. And isn't this a great word for us in our time? What better time than now for us to think about uh, the light that we have to cast across our nation? The light that we can cast in a way that no candidate, no political party, no president or government ever can. We have that calling and that power vested in us as a church to shine God's light in the midst of darkness. And isn't this an opportune time for the church to live out the radical message and the love of Jesus in ways that that actually make a difference in people's lives and reveal the glorious wonder of our God. I was talking to the children uh, again in Sunday school, and um, just in the, in the brief time uh, we were talking, we were talking about how we could be responsible, how they could go, and even in the, the lunchroom, in the classroom at school, uh, if someone is being bullied because uh, they have a religious garment on, like a hajib or... Uh, you know, something that, that would uh, make them stand out as being different maybe from other kids at school. Or if someone is of a different ethnicity, a different race, uh, and, um, and they're a minority at the, 
the lunch table or in the, in the classroom, that they should be willing to speak up and to make sure that if they see someone that is being bullied or ridiculed, that they would stand up for them and say, this is not right. This is not how God wants us to treat one another. And I was encouraged by their responses to that and how we ought to do the right thing. And as we think about the radical message of Jesus, we realize we can look at history and see the difference that it has made when people really stand up for what is right. We don't have to look very far back, do we? We can look at uh, the civil rights movement um, and the great things that happened as a result of people like Dr. King, but also so many others who were willing to stand up and to say, no, this is not going to happen any longer. There is not a time that will come when things will be better if we just sit back and do nothing. Doing nothing uh, is not going to accomplish justice, that we need to stand up and proclaim the love of Christ. So how can we as a church make the most of this opportunity? And that's something I've been thinking about this week. Uh, First, we are to do so without fear. If you look again at this text, there's that word again, fear. It's what Jesus talks about all the time. It's what seizes the hearts and the minds of the disciples more than anything else. Fear. And I assure you that's what uh, seizes you at times too. That terrible feeling of fear. And yet Jesus says, do not fear. Yes, all these things are going to happen. And yeah, the temple's going to come down and I've been trying to tell you this for a long time and the prophets before me long before me have been trying to tell you this too and because you're not listening it's going to happen it's inevitable unless you make some changes but he says don't fear I mean how could they not tremble in fear after Jesus gives such a dreadful prediction like When you hear of wars and insurrections or nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, that there will be these earthquakes and famines and plagues and all these other calamities. On top of this, he says that before all these things happen, they will be arrested and persecuted. Is he serious? I mean, not to be terrified is what they must have said to each other as they went home that day. And so fear seizes us as well. If you have a 401k, you've probably been scared to check it this week. If you have children, there's a good chance you've wondered about the kind of world that exists for them in the future. If you are black, Latino, or gay, you may have anxious thoughts about where you fit in to America becoming great again. Because while it was great for others, it wasn't so great for people like you. If you are a Christian who cherishes the freedom of religion and from religion and the separation of church and state, you may fear the loss of such freedom. I'm not saying these are realities, but fears don't always have anything to do with realities. And yet Jesus says, do not be terrified. And not a hair of your head will perish. I'm against that because I think it excludes bald people. (laughs) So you you have to uh, translate that and interpret it in whatever way you wish. But 
Jesus is not a hair of your head will perish. Don't worry. Easier said than done. Perhaps the primary way Jesus intended for the disciples to live fearlessly was to fully immerse themselves in the issues and the events of their day. Not to go stick their head in the sand or to go hide somewhere, but to to fully immerse themselves in the conversations and the issues of the day. And to, to be that light, living fully the light of God in their world, not hiding it under a bushel, as Jesus would say. It would involve entering into the issues, into the suffering of their neighbors, into and against the tide of the status quo of the religious uh, empire that existed, and into the rigors of daily life as they lived as a persecuted minority. These were the places that they were to testify. And there are places where we are to go and testify as well. Chances are you are already in them. While it's great to testify to who God is and what God has done in your life here, like in our testimonies of praise or in our storytelling events, it's one thing to do it inside of these walls. It's even better for you to do it out there, out there where your testimony is needed the most. Places like in the office with a coworker who is battling addiction and in the classroom where you might witness uh, someone being ridiculed or bullied. Or maybe at the table that you host or serve at the Highland Blessing Dinner, or in conversations when someone makes a racist comment, or at your school when someone is um, doing something that is clearly very wrong, or in print as a letter to the editor, on social media when sharing your viewpoint, or when calling your representative to express your concern that poor people ought to have access to affordable health care. I think you'll probably need to make those calls in the next couple of months. These are where we can live out our Christian faith. These are where we ask for God's guidance to, to say, how is it that I am to speak for you? I don't know what to say or what to do. And we hear these words of Jesus that says, don't worry about it. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the power through the Holy Spirit to make a difference. So what were they to testify about? The same thing that we are to testify about. The good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is sharing your faith that God is inclusive, not exclusive. That God is concerned with the least of these, not the greatest of these, that God is love, not hate, that God is a suffering servant, not a tyrannical overlord, that God is working toward justice, not re-election. Aren't you glad God doesn't have term limits? And someone, a friend of mine, uh, was sharing with me this week uh, as we were just kind of talking about the election and everything, and, and she said, you know, remember um, what Dr. King uh, said, I don't know that he came up with this, but that he said uh, about the arc of justice, how it is long and it bends toward justice. And that no matter what happens, that God is at work doing God's justice. And one day we will see it in full. But also that God is personal, not indifferent, 
and that God seeks our salvation, not our condemnation. You've probably heard about the Chinese character um, that is the word for or the character for crisis and how that word or as you would draw that out um, in Chinese, it is a, a character that has two meanings. One of those meanings is danger, right? You think about crisis, you think about danger. But the other is opportunity. That every crisis contains opportunity. Opportunity to do something differently. Opportunity to rise above the crisis. Opportunity to bond together and develop uh, a sense of togetherness to get through the crisis. Opportunity to change. And I believe that ought to be the character for the church. Because who else has the kind of insight and strength and power than the church of Jesus Christ in our world today? God has amazing things for us to do. And we're going to hear more about that in days to come as we think about who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. Let us pray. God, thank you for our church and for putting us right here at 520 Olive. We recognize that you have given us many things to do in this world. Help us to rise above all of the the chaos of our time.